James, 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 I've got it. I've got the best idea for a cartoon. This will be revolutionary. We take Scooby-Doo, and we take Speed Racer, and we mix it with a little bit of the love bug. It will be the greatest thing ever. Um, Femi, that's the cartoon I'm researching for the podcast right now, Speed Buggy. No, 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 no. No, it's not going to be like that, because we'll have the car, and it'll talk, and it'll say, like, Rooma Zoom Zoom, and, and make puttering sounds. Yeah, you're still describing Speed Buggy. And, and then we'll have a mechanic, and, and he... And it'll say, like, golly, and have a southern draw, and he kind of looks like Shaggy, and his name will be Tinker. Okay, three strikes, you're out, because this is still Speed Buggy. And then there'll be a Data East arcade game. Okay, that's only technically Speed Buggy, but, uh, well, still kind of, sort of, that same track. It is weird, though, that there's a cartoon and a game named that with no relation whatsoever, isn't it? (laughs) A little bit. A little bit. There are too many cartoons, but they'll watch them all. The Penny and James can sort of hopefully funny cartoon podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm James Irish. And I'm Pembroke W. Corgi. Welcome once again to the Pemmy and James, kind of, sort of, hopefully funny cartoon podcast. And we're taking a trip back to 1973 with Hanna-Barbera's quasi-classic, certainly cult classic, Speed Buggy. It's at least popular enough that it's had a few appearances in recent media, both in uh, Scooby-Doo and Guess Who and uh, Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated. Indeed as well as some others we'll discuss uh, in our postscript. But the story of Speed Buggy starts in the September of 1973 with its debut, and the era of the Scooby-Doo clone was reaching critical mass. In addition to the new Scooby-Doo movies continuing on CBS, multiple mystery shows were being put out by Hanna-Barbera for the three major networks. NBC had a pair of them, Inch High Private Eye and Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kids. ABC would debut Goober and the Ghost Chasers, and CBS got Speed Buggy. Man, ABC should sue for having to have Goober and the Ghost Chasers. Hmm. Now, Speed Buggy, mercifully for the show and its format, skewed more in the direction of our previous podcast subject, Josie and the Pussycats. Not as much mystery here, more just random bad guys. Hmm. It's also worth mentioning that the premise alone is much more different than any of the others I just mentioned, and I don't think that's a coincidence. CBS's kids' programming was overseen by Fred Silverman, who was one of the architects of Scooby-Doo's initial success, at least as far as those outside Hanna-Barbera itself goes. He, of all people, would have found it wise to keep his programming at least somewhat distinct from one another. And he probably would have chased Bill and Joe out of the meeting room if they tried to give him Goober and the Ghost Chasers. I mean, I would. Me too. So drawing inspiration from Disney's Love Bug, the Speed Racer franchise, and Hanna-Barbera's own previous sputtering car, Chugaboom, from the perils of Penelope Pitstop, this show revolves around the eponymous Speed Buggy and the crew of teens who created and operate him. 
which includes Mark, Debbie, and Tinker. And Speed's no ordinary car either. He talks and interacts with the world in a fashion not dissimilar to humans. And he's voiced by Mel Blank, the man, the myth, the legend. Now, technically, this makes the engineer behind this, the aforementioned Tinker, an accidental genius in the field of artificial intelligence. Look, yes, yes, I know. It's just a cartoon, James. You keep thinking too hard about these things, James. I hear you. But seriously, just writing these things down leaves me gobsmacked that these kids in Hanna-Barbera cartoons who create talking cars and unearth cavemen superheroes aren't all members of Mensa or have research institutes with their names on them. Nope. They just go around stopping weird criminals with their earth-shattering discoveries. Honestly, I think it's more weird that in the intro we literally see these kids build a sentient creature. <laughs> Fair. So, yeah, it's another reshuffling of the Scooby slash Josie deck of plot cards. Leaning on the Josie side of the formula with, the, with this group of kids traveling the world to do something other than solve crimes. In this case, automobile racing. But they wind up entwined in these criminal plots anyway. It's just how it be. Also, Tinker may or may not, and I'm pretty sure was, at least partially inspired by Gomer Pyle. Golly! Might be a connection there, since Debbie is performed by character actress Arlene Galanka, who is best known for appearances on The Andy Griffith Show and spinoff Mayberry RFD. Let's see. I know Mark is uh, Michael Bell, who we know from uh, the Houndcats as Stutz. Yep, he's only getting started on a career that would become incredibly prolific, especially in the 80s. Yep, he's been in such things as playing All-Star on the Snorks. He was both uh, Prowl and Sideswipe, and I think Swoop on Transformers, and he's Cracker Jack in Darkwing Duck. Let alone Duke on G.I. Joe. Yep, he's got a good voice. And Tinker is Phil Luther Jr., who you might know from, from, uh, this is his only character. Yeah. Golly! And seemingly he didn't reprise it for Laugh Olympics, because in Laugh Olympics, uh, Frank Welker takes over as Tinker. Hmm. He does an okay job. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's that's a case of they couldn't get him, get the original voice actor, or if it was a cost thing, because... There's a lot of characters in Laugh Olympics, and he's not the only person who got recasted. Mm. Isn't that right, Mildew Wolf? <laughs> to his credit, though, John Stevenson does do a pretty good Paul End. Right. Of course, as Pemmy mentioned earlier, the sputtering, wheezy sounds of Speed Buggy itself are from Mel Blanc, who has been making these noises since at least his time working on the Jack Benny program, if not before. Can you remember the day you bought your first automobile? I can remember driving mine home, for I had my friend Mel Blank with me. Mel and I still work together, and I still have the Maxwell. Anthropomorphized cars were, and still are, nothing new in animation. 
From the earliest black-and-white short subjects to John Lasseter's passion project that extended the career of Larry the Cable Guy beyond his expiration date, the grill and headlights of automobiles make them easy choices to apply human attributes onto. Eventually, we'd get them turning into robots, but that's, that's far later. Yeah. Still, Speed Buggy's most direct predecessors are Chugaboom, the vehicle of choice for the Ant Hill mob on the perils of Penelope Pit Stop, and Sparkplug from the aforementioned Houndcats, both of whom precede our plucky little dune buggy by a mere couple of years. Also proving that, you know, Mel Blank can just sputter into a microphone and still make a likable enough character. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, speaking of creative workers on this, this is a good show to make mention of one of Hanna-Barbera's unsung heroes who has done a lot of the theme songs for, for shows we've covered already, Hoyt Curtin. He is magnificent on this, and I love the Speed Buggy theme song. It's really catchy, especially considering it literally has car horns in it. As a composer and music director, Hoyt got his start at the very tail end of Tex Avery's run with MGM, and was quickly hired by Hanna-Barbera just as they were starting their own company. Some of his songs and themes he's done include both Flintstones themes, the theme for Top Cat, the theme for the Super Friends, and the Smurfs. And the really awesome Johnny Quest theme. Mm-hmm. It, basically, if it's not by him, it was probably by Ted Nichols. But you could generally tell the difference a little bit, since Hoyt Curtin's work is often bold and brassy. He's got an ear for a great hook, all of which is on particular display here in this show's theme. Yeah, uh, Ted Nichols is a little more subdued, because he did like the Scooby-Doo soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Anything else you wanted to mention in our preamble? Uh, not off the top of my head. I, I have a funny story that has to do with Tinker, but I don't know if you want me to do it now or later. Maybe save it for later. All right. Because right now, it's mere seconds to race time to win Taggart's trophy. At our race du jour, a distinctively haired man announces the start of the race, who Debbie helpfully identifies for the audience as Mr. Taggart. And Taggart, we should mention now is performed by one of television's most familiar voices, Gary Owens. Which, weirdly, he he seemingly did this uncredited, because he's not listed in the cast list, but it's obviously him. Mm -hmm. He's best known as the announcer on Rowan and Martin's Laugh-It, one of only four performers to be on that show for its entire run. While us cartoon heads know him best as Roger Ramjet and... (gasps) Space Ghost! Not to mention uh, the Blue Falcon from uh, Dinobot. True. Weirdly, as much as I watch Space Ghost a lot, I always think of Blue Falcon first. Which he actually reprised that for an episode of Dexter's Laboratory before he uh, passed. So, Oh, cool. He also did an interview as the original Space Ghost for Space Ghost Coast to Coast. Yep. And uh, he almost was Inspector Gadget at one point. Which is, if you've watched, ever watched that pilot, because you can find it on YouTube, it's, it feels weird. <laughs> now, the Bugs team chat, and Speed's ready to go, as Taggart announces that the prize for a race around the local mountain range is a solid gold trophy. Even by 1970s standards, that's actually kind of impressive. That is, a uh, Yeah. Solid freaking gold. Like, gonna give something solid gold these days. Be like gold plated. Yeah, yeah. 
These days, you can't even get a solid gold dancer. <laughs> so Debbie's encouraging Speed to show the other cars what he's made of, and he does until another racer's vehicle goes all apex predator and shows off its fangs. This other car is not mentioned or seen again. It's just there for a gag. Basically. Now, just as they're all about to head to the starting line, an ominous shadow looms overhead. It's a blimp, designed in the same visual mold of Dick Dastardly's Mean Machine, as two masked types gloat that the racers don't know what's about to hit them. And the deeper voice of these henchmen is Mel Blanc, pulling double duty in this cartoon, here using a variation of the barnyard dog from the Foghorn Leghorn cartoons. Certainly can't blame them for having Mel fill in for, like, random characters. I mean, if you have Mel Blank of all people, you might as well use him. Mm-hmm. I mean, from what, from what I hear, he was also pretty pricey at the time, so, you know, get that money's worth. Yeah. Now, Debbie is too wrapped up in giving speed instructions to notice that Taggart has waved the green flag, and they've all zoomed off. At least Debbie knows her stuff, so she doesn't oh, yeah. feel... Uh, they, they, they actually. I think they. One thing I do like about this is I think Debbie has a lot of character to her, which is better than a majority of the quotation mark girl characters that get stuck in a lot of these type of shows. Yeah, she's actually pretty well rounded. Uh, something I can't say for. Uh, mm, a, yeah, a lot. <laughs> we'll discuss those another time because several of these cartoons are. On the list. Now, what she does notice, though, is that blimp, which Mark initially waves off as just another observer as the henchmen ready a motion control ray, while a voice on the other side of the comm unit tells them to stand by. Which, eventually, they end up shooting a car with that said motion control ray that makes them go reverse into a frickin' rock wall. Yeah, one by one, the racers are zapped into driving into reverse, wrecking themselves on local geographical features. And the Bugs team realize this, just as Speed and Tinker are targeted. Soon they're zigzagging backwards, then zag-zigging, then zag-zig-zagging and zigging. Their words, not ours. Props to Michael Bell for delivering all that. (laughs) Yeah, that, that, that probably took multiple takes. And they tried to get Speed Buggy the back off right off a cliff. Fortunately for Tinker, Speed Buggy isn't your ordinary car. Right. Now, we should also mention, but before that, a shadowy figure in a car with a distinctive haircut that observant viewers will note is the same as the one they saw mere minutes ago, orders the Sky Beetle, which is the blimp, to start Phase X2. Wow, I didn't know this had to do with Wolverine's daughter. Uh, it, we're about um, uh, 21 numbers off. Oh, dang it. But yeah, like you were saying, Speed's no ordinary car. Tink tells the Doom Buggy it's fly time, and his front sides turn into wings. Have we mentioned that Tinker is a mechanical genius? <laughs> I'm going to preface some of my complaints by actually saying that this... I don't have a hard time with, since Speed Buggy itself is generally a cartoon slapstick character, and thus kind of exists with rules the others don't necessarily follow. Kind of like if you were driving Benny the Cab. 
Yep. Though, that is an interesting thing that they do point out in multiple episodes, is that Tinker is actually a mechanical genius, which is a nice change of pace from characters that usually have his type of southern drawl and mm-hmm. what character portrayals they usually have. Now, a second blast of that of that laser disables the flight, and Speed ejects Tinker to safety before the third hit. Fortunately, which sends him down again, which... He ends up saving himself by Tinker telling him on a remote control to... I don't remember exactly his phrasing, but he shoots off his tires and lands in them. Yeah, the tires form a picture-perfect stack that Speedy lands right in the center of, through the middle. Now wait just a minute! Ah, forget it. The suspension of disbelief already went out the window with the premise as it is. I'm just going to have to live with these impossible tire tricks. They're just very stretchable rubber. (laughs) Tinker made his own type of rubber tires. I I guess. To which then Speed Buggy jumps out of it, throws up the tires, and they all land easily back onto his, what do you call those? The chassis? Yeah. Something like that. The frame. I'm not a car person. I'm not either. I was going to say spicks or spigots or actually, I don't like any of that. Um, The axles? Axles, yes. Oh, Crunchy's going to hate us. Yes, the axles. They rose to the uh, occasion, you know. Axel rose. So Speed is called to meet with the team, but he's completely puttered out as the mystery man laughs and declares his weapon an absolute success. It's impressive, I'll give him that. (laughs) True. Calling the blimp back to base, the speed buggy crew vows to figure out what the scheme is as soon as they can reunite with their ride. And the blimp makes landing in an underground base in a valley by hitting an old tree to activate the door. I've never seen a blimp do that before, but I, I do have to admit the tree branch opening a hidden door is kind of a rather popular trope. Mm-hmm. It's also not really great security, since Debbie activates it when she wants to lean on it while pushing speed up the mountain. And this is where my brain starts to break. <laughs> because this means this writer has no relationship between space and time here. Exactly how twisty-turny was this mountain range that Debbie and Tinker were pushing speed up? To, for them to have gotten back to the blimp's base when the blimp was going away from them. Uh, it's a convenient coincidence. Yeah. Either the Sky Beetle didn't fly nearly as far as we thought, or Tink and Deb pushed speed for miles. Also, by the way, Debbie does want to investigate, but Tink says they should wait for Mark, since Tinker, Tinker suspects a possible trap, which begs another question. Why wasn't Mark, the physically strongest looking of the bunch, pushing? Maybe he was off, maybe he was off doing something important, like, you know, I don't know, maybe calling the police or something. Anyhow, Debbie cajoles and flatters Speedy into not being afraid of any traps, which Tinker declares unfair. I also like that while she's doing this, there's like this point where 
Tinker just straight up just looks at the audience and says, like, can you, where he just has his face like, can you believe this? <laughs> and when pressed on how Mark will find them, Deb suggests Speed drops some nuts and bolts as a trail. I think anyone who is even aware of the existence of cars will tell you that's asking for trouble. Yep. Well, it's okay, because as we mentioned and as we'll talk about soon, Speed Buggy's not an ordinary car. No. So as Tinker weakly denies being scared of the dark, Mark does catch up and comes to the conclusion that all the parts left behind mean Speed was dragged against his will. That's actually, a f- considering the size of the parts, that's a pretty fair conclusion to reach. Fortunately, Mark's able to pick up every single part on his way to catch up with everybody. Yeah. And, and the trail making causes Speed to just stop altogether. I mean... If I was dropping my pieces, I don't think I would have lasted near as long as he did, to be honest. So, when Mark arrives, he has Speed Buggy swallow all the parts he grabbed. And now they're back in place, just like that. Again, suspension of disbelief went away long, long ago. All I have to say is, one, it is a cute gag, all things considered. I I especially like Tinker going, don't swallow too fast. And, uh, two, God, I wish my car was that easy to fix. Fair. So, the two henchmen we've seen earlier arrive, and a car chase begins and ends just as quickly as the heroes hide. So with the henchmen going one way, Mark decides to go another way, which, you know, winds up working. They find the factory that where everything's going on. With the blimp park nearby, and they're spotted on camera and zapped with the motion control ray back into reverse and into a cell. A conveniently placed cell, I might add. Mm-hmm. So using a belt from the engine, Speed pulls the bars off the window and... And... They jump right out the window. With the car and everything. That window should be at least a third of Speed's own height and width. It's a really big window. <laughs> it's bigger on the outside. It's a reverse TARDIS. <laughs> Oh, oh, I I can't, I can't. They have very short time limits to make these cartoons. That's the only defense I've got. (laughs) And most of all, I can't believe I never questioned all this as a kid when I watched this. I was a dumb kid. I remember when I was a kid, I used to come up with my own excuses for why stuff happened. Like, there's an episode of Transformers where, for whatever reason, they paint Optimus Prime all blue with no explanation because it was just an animation error. And I was just like, oh, Optimus must be cold. He got shot with a freeze ray off camera. <laughs> well, moving along, the team are spotted by more guards. So they dodge into a storeroom and they reemerge dressed as guards themselves. And hide, and hide Speedy under a white canvas. And, you know, they briefly get separated for a couple gags until the chief addresses the lot and Mark has to constantly shush Deb. Gosh, he sounds familiar. Yeah, remember that, Debbie. That's all I have to say. So the chief commands his goons to find the teens, and Debbie blows her cover with a nasty sneeze. That's a heck of a sneeze. (laughs) As the trio are caught, Deb points to a quote-unquote fourth one, creating enough of a distraction to allow them to bolt. That's what you get for being greedy! Speed Buggy hears the ruckus, rumazooms into action, 
and has to dodge the motion control ray to catch up to his friends. I will give him credit, though. Uh, as much as that's a basic gag, the whole, like, look over there thing, it still is pretty well done. It was kind of cute. Yeah. I, I, I like Debbie's, like, that's what you get for being greedy. <laughs> like... As they drive into the factory proper, Taggart unmasks. He was, of course, the chief. And says they'll give the meddlers a ride on the conveyor belt. To which Speed Buggy has to make a sudden stop in front of the conveyor belt because just happens to be there. Flings our three teenagers onto said conveyor belt, which they could have, you know, easily just jumped off of, and somehow gets put into an elevator? Now, from a safety standpoint, I'm more concerned of them being launched out of Speed Buggy in the first place. You could learn a lot from a dummy. Buckle your safety belt. Yeah, this was a time period where that was less enforced in TV shows. Now, Speed has to hide behind a steel column to evade the guards, and I can accept that, since Speed is the kind of slapstick character, and again, more bound by cartoon physics, that that kind of works. Yeah. It's, it's just that, 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 that window thing is still bugging me. Even if Speed would be, would be constrained by the cartoon physics, the three humans riding in him would be. Yeah, I, I'm sure they probably meant for that to be a much bigger window, but, you well, know, time constraints and yeah. budgets. Meanwhile, the gang's conveyor ride ends with them landing in the elevator Pemmy mentioned that leads them to the office levels? Who designed this factory? This is not OSHA compliant. And not just does it take him to some office buildings, it takes him directly to the office of Mr. Taggart himself. Yeah, Depp starts telling him the whole thing, never noticing he's wearing the same jumpsuit as the chief. Mr. Taggart, thank goodness you're here. I'm Debbie, and that's Mark and Tinker. And we were in your race today when all that strange stuff happened with that blimp and all. We wound up here in your factory, and I think you should know what's going on out there. And there's some guy that they call the Chief. Yes? And he's developed this motion control ray and plans to take over the world with it. Really? Really? You can spot him easily because of this strange helmet he wears. Like this one? Oh, thank goodness. You've discovered his evil plot. Have you decided what to... Oh, my gosh. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. You're... You're the, you're the chief, aren't you? Holy cow. Clever girl, but not clever enough. Now, I will give this writer credit for being clever enough to do the unmasking bit in reverse... Yeah, but how how bad you have to be at being meddling kids to have the freaking villain unmask himself for you? Well, Team Speed Buggy's racing off again as Taggart sounds the alarm. I, I do have to say, I love Gary Owen's like whole delivery in that scene. Though it's like really like this one. He's just he's being so freaking snarky. Now on the roof of the factory. Tinker has to call in Operation Pogo for speed, which is just giant springs. Again, cartoon slapstick character. And we see them use some of the tricks shown earlier in the episode to get away. Eventually having them get into the blimp. Yeah, they realize they'll just get caught by the blimp's ray yet again. So they decide to get to it first. Smart, actually. Yeah. When they can't decide which button to press, Debbie insists on the blue one since it's pretty. Even though there's there's literally... What? (laughs) There's five blue buttons. Actually, eight. I've got it up right now. (laughs) Oh. 
one of the other frames had just five. Oh, because yeah, the frame I have right now has five in a row, and then one, and then three above. So, any, uh, well, uh, like we said last time around, continuity errors in a Hanna Barbera cartoon, the scandal. Never. Tank does hit the right one though to repel the guards' vehicle again and again. But as far as escaping themselves, they don't have a ton of luck. Debbie does eventually control the ray well enough to lock the guards into the cell from earlier and send an escaping Taggart into the ray itself, wrecking it. Guess it has a magnet beam, too. Well, in theory, if the beam is supposed to reverse the vehicle and he's going away from the blimp, it would send him towards it. Though that doesn't explain the elevation. Eh. We got half there. I'll give them that much. All things considered, that's probably the least. Uh, that's probably one of the least weird things that happened in this episode. Yeah. So Speed is dispatched to catch the Mastermind, and he pounces on Taggart's vehicle, which launches Taggart himself into a barrel, which breaks down and its supports capture him. Yeah. <laughs> and they find Taggart's trophy on the ground and give it the Speedy. While joking that Taggart's earned solid gold handcuffs. Which kind of gives me a, like, what response? Because I'm like, what freaking gel cell would do that? Mm. Now, following this episode, decades later, Taggart's trophy would be melting down and sold as coins by opportunistic salespeople who advertise on podcasts that have a far greater reach than our own. You won't catch us leading you listeners down that path. We're too small for those dingbats to contact us to run ads. No, 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 no. Heathcliff and the Dingbats was a different show, James. Oh, right. But speaking of ads, we'll be right back. Sunday Afternoon Mysteries will be back in a moment on the Cartoon Network. On the next Penny and James podcast. Yes, I know. We advertised these guys for last year, and then our recording schedule got a little wonky, and we had to postpone the eds. But rest assured, this time it's really on its way, or else the Canker Sisters will pay us an unfriendly visit. So come join Penny and I for this shameless act of self-preservation in two weeks. Room zoom zoom, hot rodders. We now return to Speed Buggy. You know... Given the subject of this second episode we're looking at, maybe we should have saved this one for February? Uh, that would require us to acknowledge Valentine's Day. Ah, <laughs> uh, fair. This episode is Speed Buggy in Love. While I had several problems with the previous episode we looked at, this one is a hidden gem. At least I think so. Yeah, it's pretty good. I I do ha- I, I I do have a funny comment about like one thing that happens in the starting of that episode though, because uh, Tinker's trying to do some repairs on Speed Buggy, but he's having troubles because Speed Buggy keeps laughing because Speed Buggy's ticklish. Yeah, and Debbie's like, "It's not Speed Buggy's fault; he's ticklish." And my immediate like response was, "Yes, it's Tinker's fault; he's ticklish because <laughs> Tinker built him." <laughs> So for this one, they're in preparations for a flight to Bulgonia, for the Bulgonia 900. Now, even though I already figured I knew the answer, I looked that name up, and Bulgonia refers either to a street in the town of Brightwaters in New South Wales, Australia, or a fictional country used very, very briefly 
in DC Comics and or the companies it purchased over the many decades. I don't think either use applies here. No, but I, I've heard I've heard worse names for fake countries. <laughs> Looks at Transformers again and having literally having a Middle Eastern country of Carbonia. You mean Carbamia? Oh, I thank you. Yes. Even Debbie's flattering routine can't quite keep the vehicle still, but Tinker eventually gets the job done. If nothing goes wrong, they should have a good trip, and Debbie asks, what could go wrong? Well, at least she didn't say it in my least favorite way of saying that line. Yes, but still, the genre savvy among us know those are the four words you never, ever say. Unless you're a bobcat who says a version of that all the time. What could possibly go wrong? Now, as if to demonstrate, we crossfade to a boarded-up warehouse where one Baron Vulch, dressed just about exactly as you imagine from the name, Baron Vulch, and he's laughing about his latest invention, while his frog-like henchman Pigmo, a.k.a. Mel Blanc, to an archetypical Eastern European accent, it actually sounds like a weird version of his uh, voice for the Bully Brothers in uh, Penelope Pet Stop. Hmm. A little bit. So this invention is a bugging device for espionage purposes. And it's quite literally shaped like an ear. It doesn't look very, uh, how should I say, hidden. No. Though I think the point of it is more you can hear through walls and stuff. Mm-hmm. I also want to point out that... Uh, Interesting flag in the background of this villain. <laughs> Vaguely, uh, yeah, I'm gonna stop. Okay, yeah. So Pigmo wonders how to smuggle the device into Bulgonia, and Vulture's plan is to have Speed Buggy smuggle it in for them. I also want to say I'm pretty sure Vulch is voiced by uh, Hal Smith. This sounds like one of the voices he's done. Okay, so later on. The Speedbug team are at the airport, and Tink is unloading the last of their bags. When Vulch and Pigmo just waltz right up and drop it off in plain view of who knows how many people. Wow, TSA was more lax back then than I thought. Seemly. <laughs> now, I should mention, I can forgive the teens for being unaware, since they're wrapped up in getting their flight paid for and everything. Back then, a lot of that stuff was done right at the desk the day of the flight. Could you imagine that now, though? Yeah. It's still pretty bold of our antagonists, though, to just do this in proverbial broad daylight. And literal broad daylight, too. Yep. But to their credit, they do slip it behind a panel in the trunk out of Tinker's potential sight. At the same time, you'd think Speed himself, being a sentient car would notice the weight differential caused by the new addition. Not to mention he'd hear the duo talking. Eh, he's also hyped up and everything. Maybe he's just used to having people putting junk in his trunk. Uh, we'll get to that later. <laughs> I have more questions about the fact that Speed Buggy is literally sitting in a seat on the freaking plane. Yeah, uh, again, the proportions of this Dune Buggy seem to just change on the needs of the gag. But, you know, cartoon slapstick character. Also, Tinker's just standing in the middle of this freaking airplane. It's like, should he be, like, 
setting. <laughs> so the flight boarded, the Baron cackles some more, and in flight, we get the gag of a flight attendant trying to make sure she has the right kind of motor oil to serve Speedy. He knows what he likes. Yep. And in Bulgonia, we get a customs gag about declaring things and Tinker comically misunderstands. Come to Bulgonia. Have you anything to declare? Only that we're downright happy to be here and proud to be representing our country and... No, Tinker. He means do we have any merchandise to declare? Well, you know, he's he's proud to be racing for his country. Now, Debbie notices a wanted poster for Vulch and Pigmo with a $10,000 reward for their capture. How convenient. The Bulgonian authorities converted it into dollars for the Saturday morning audience to understand. This is really nice of them. Very polite. Yeah. Or maybe they also have dollars. Maybe. It's airport customs. They probably have multiple versions of that poster with different currencies on it. Besides, this was back in the 70s. A dollar was actually worth something then. (laughs) Yeah. So Debbie was aware of Vulch and Pigmo being on the plane and decides they should actually go and try and catch the duo. But the customs official warns them that the duo are quite dangerous, which gives Tink and Speed second thoughts. But Debbie still wants to pursue it, feeling like James Bond in her words. I mean, it is $10,000. Yeah, that's not chump change. Even today. Yeah, let's say even today. Imagine what that would have been worth back then. (laughs) The group splits up to handle luggage and such, and Pigmo is sent to get the box. And outside, the scene that follows is proof that Tinker may be a mechanical genius... But he's not very street smart. Well, he is the resident Shaggy still. (laughs) Yeah. So Pigbo just strolls up to Speed and Tinker and tells the latter there's a phone call for him, leading him to a phone booth with the Baron on the other end of the line, making Tink think it's the president of Bulgonia. Golly! And Pigbo locks him in with a metal bar but they can't get Speed's trunk open as easily this time before Debbie and Mark return. Again, you'd think Speed would notice them doing this. He, he doesn't have very good be- back vision, I guess. Hmm. That we, I don't know, well, since you car stuff and everything, we don't know how sensitive his touch senses are, hmm. all things considered. Once the others go find Tinker, they see right through the trick. But they say something funny's going on. Tinker is still under the impression he was on the phone with the president and just says, Yeah, I think we got disconnected. Don't. So later, at what I presume is his ancestral castle, Vulch scolds Pigmo, but he's confident they'll succeed via Plan B. Pun alert! Plan B is Mata Kari. Oi the punrifically named Feminine Anthropomorphic Car. Now, Matakari is not sapient like Speed is, though. She's controlled remotely from the front by Pigmo hidden underneath the hood of the car. So they run tests on her eyes, walking, and her horn sound, and the Baron is convinced this will be a slam dunk. I, I got one question, though. If he's in an ancestral castle, how the heck have they not found and caught him? Hmm... You'd think that'd be, like, the first place they'd check. Fair. I mean, I suppose we don't know what Lord's rights are in Bulgonia, but... uh, 
government changes, regime changes, who knows what laws were introduced. Uh, We're getting into the weeds. It's a fair question. I also want to say that I'm not, I don't know, I I don't like how this car moves. (laughs) So at the track, speed buggy falls through the ploy, hook, line, and sinker, as the quote-unquote lady car calls him sleek, fast, and hunky. Cue the classic romantic tizzy. You know, if there's anything that bothers me, it's the fact that, like, the teens aren't here going like, whoa, there's another sapient car? <laughs> they, they, they act like this is a normal, everyday thing, practically. Well, considering the growling car from the previous episode, it might be. I think these are the only two times we see anything like that in this entire series. <laughs> uh, so the cars introduce each other, with Matakari even wiggling her caboose figuratively and literally. And look at that junk in the trunk there! I wonder if this episode caused any kids to have a complex when they got older. So, Speed's infatuation is so bad, Tinker can't get back in control for race prep, and Debbie has to appeal to him to show Matakari what he can do to get him going again. Showing it, again, Debbie's actually quite smart. (laughs) Now, when Speed Buggy tells Matakari not to go anywhere... She replies her gear shift is in park. I'm actually sufficiently impressed. They're not missing a gag here so far. <laughs> and I should also mention that Mel is pronouncing Kari to sound more like Carrie. Even the greats aren't perfect. Yeah. You could also say it's part. It, it could be just part of Speedy's personality, too. Maybe. So Mark finally gets things back to focusing on the race. And Matakari says goodbye and struts away. I bet Speed hates to see her leave, but loves to watch her go. (laughs) Pigmo has to report back that the kids wouldn't let Speed go with his duplicitous dame routine, and Vulch intends to try again that night. We didn't uh, get to the scene with Speed Buggy being all dreamy about his new car girlfriend, Mm-hmm. A scene that I think they may have layered the scenes, the the cells wrong because like Debbie's talking while behind Tinker, covering a good portion of her, to where at one point it looks like she's kind of like it's romantic and leaning against Tinker. And I'm like either it's like I don't know if she's being cuddly with Tinker or this is a mislayer of cells because I can't think of any reason why they would put him in front of her like that. It just looks weird weirdly staged and in speed's romantic daydream we watch him get married to matakari and then they have a family of officially licensed power wheels toy vehicles (laughs) if i didn't know any better i'd say tink was jealous of all this but his stupid girl comment seems born of frustration unfortunately i hate to say this it's not the only time tinkers made similar comments. Mm. It's not a constant thing of his personality, but he's done it more than once. So I I wouldn't say he's a chauvinist, but... Maybe just easily frustrated. Yeah. Matakari's distinctive car horn sends speed back into action to the groans of the gang. She beckons him down, and he races through the hotel in record time to reach her. That's the power of love right there, folks. Dun, 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 dun. Uh, I'm going to stop there or we'll get copyright strike. It's a hell of a drug, I'll say that. So the ruse is almost given away as Matakari's dialogue tape gets stuck. 
but Pigmo applies percussive maintenance and gets it back on track with speed none the wiser as they drive through town with the team commandeering a motorcycle to follow. So then they come up to Baron Vulture's castle and Matakari says she wants speed to meet her father. On a manner of speaking, the tape's not lying there. No. I mean, arguably Tinker is, um, I mean, Tinker's pretty much Speed Buggy's dad. Baron Vulture welcomes them into his castle and Speed Buggy is so infatuated he literally asks him for Matakari's will in marriage. This amuses the Baron to no end. And boy, if there was ever a moment where gloating felt appropriate, it's here. Yep. He not only laughs at how infatuated Speed Buggy is, he reveals the ruse just to rub it into Speed Buggy's face and laugh at him more. Poor yeah. Speedy. So they go for the box with the bugging device, but a heartbroken Speed finds it in himself to rumazoom zoom away as the team arrives and just barely manages to jump the moat using a nearby rock outcropping as an improvised ramp. Now for this era, that's decent attention to detail. I also want to say that uh, I don't think that's a legal amount of people you can have on a motorcycle. <laughs> Fair. So they arrive to speed just as the villains are about to jump him, and the Baron threatens Pigmo with the salt mines if he fails. Which must be really bad salt mines because, man... Pigmo like pretty much just begs at one point for them to come back just outside there's not enough room for speed to get a jump in so he has to swim for it he's a little petrified of that idea but Debbie and Mark say they'll hold the, de the despotic duo off that idea doesn't really last though they don't really even do anything no yeah because the chase to the racetrack is on with Vulch and Pigmo in the fake femme fatale, and the remaining bugs following them. Interesting enough note, though, later episodes, they actually do mention, they kind of reference this in the fact that they actually build uh, inflatable wheels for Speedy that allows him to float in water. Some continuity. Yeah. Reaching the track, the villains hijack a race car to continue the chase. Debbie quickly alerts the authorities of Vulture's presence as the race is in progress. Again, smart girl. Yep. I'd say she's overall the brains of the, the group, except for the fact she's not the most level-headed of the group either. I think that goes to Mark. It's kind of a gender-flip version of Fred and Velma in this case. Yeah. And, you know, kudos for, for doing something fresh with it. What does it make Mark? Um, I'll have to think about that. <laughs> So, in race, Tink has to signal for Operation Airlift to evade Pigmo's grasp, which involves Speed's tires inflating to the point he starts to float. Because all air works like helium? Again, cartoon slapstick car, par for the course. That, I just noticed a lot of shows back then seem to just think that for some reason. Now, Pigmo attempts to grab the device again, this time with an elevated seat, but the poor condition of the road... Whoa, 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 now wait just a minute! <laughs> what kind of professional race group is putting this on if there's potholes in their track? They've had months to prepare for this. This should have been caught! Hey, we don't know what the uh, race rules are in Belgonia. Huh. Bulgonia. Yeah, but there's international governing bodies for this sort of thing. 
The only explanation I've got is the writers just needed convenience. Pretty much. So now Vulch is trying to grab the case using some bumper car style action. And he actually gets the device free. Pigmo catches it while right in front of Vulch. Who then wrecks into a wrecks through a a gate or a fence and somehow loses the wheels and throws the entire remaining part of the car as well as him and Pigmo right into a police van. And even Pigmo's less than impressed now because he he just says, I know, I know, it's my last chance. I'm more impressed by the police officer that we just sat there waiting for them. He said, yep, I've got this trajected just right. Mm-hmm. That, that police officer is also a physics major. So Speed wins the race, but he's spooked since Matakari seems to have been left on by the villains and she's going through her uh, cute girl routine again. Speedbuggy's like, heck with that! <laughs> yeah, he bolts through the fence himself to avoid being, in Tinker's words, hogtied. <laughs> Golly! But, misgivings aside, this was a really well-paced episode! It's good. A lot of the episodes are kind of like this. They're, they're, they fluctuate, I'd say. By far not the worst Scooby clone. I actually like this show, but yeah, sometimes it's Now, as fun as this could be, a common criticism levied against Speed Buggy is that many of the plots are taken right out of Josie and the Pussycats. I think I saw a couple of them when I'm reading through the descriptions. I mean, both shows have in common a a kind of a green thumb villain, for starters. Yep. But Josie and the Pussycats didn't have the Hidden Valley of Amazons episode. You know, maybe they should have. Which is an episode where you do get to see Tinker be kind of chauvinistic. Hmm. But it was done purely for a gag, so... Yeah. Eh. It's evidence that this seems to be the point where Hanna-Barbera was reaching oversaturation of the, of the animation market. Since, as we mentioned at the top of the podcast, there were another three detective-slash-adventure shows being launched at the same time as Speed Buggy. And, at the same time, Hanna-Barbera was back in the superhero cartoon business with the Super Friends, thus diluting the well of ideas for villain types even further. And that's a show we need to do sometime. Mm-hmm. So, the show was kind of both the last gasp of the better part of this era of Hanna-Barbera, and a warning of things to come for the company, as they continue to be their own biggest competition in the TV market, with Filmation and DePatty Freeling jockeying for second place. And God knows what Sid and Marty Croft were on. <laughs> Which would also lead eventually to, if I remember right, Fred Silverman convincing Joe Ruby and Ken Spears to make their own company because he he felt that adding additional competition to Hanna-Barbera would cause them to be more creative. But instead, Ruby Spears saturated it more. Because <laughs> they practically just kept putting out the exact same stuff. <laughs> So, Speed Buggy gained a lot of its fandom through the sheer number of times it was brought back, not just by CBS, but NBC and ABC as well. It would be plugged into schedules whenever a newer cartoon was so dismal a failure that reruns of an older property were deemed the better choice. Yep, uh, it's one of the only cartoons that air on, at the time, all three major networks, so... 
Now that the crew had appeared in the new Scooby-Doo movies concurrent to their original run, and Speed and Tinker were part of the Laugh Olympics a couple years later, probably helped make it an appealing show to bring back. And uh, later down the line, Speed Buggy makes an appearance in uh, an episode of Johnny Bravo. Mm-hmm. As yep. well as an episode of Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated and Scooby-Doo and Guess Who. Before that, of course, in the early to mid-80s, Speed Buggy was a staple of USA's Cartoon Express block of programming. It would then be part of the Sunday Afternoon Mysteries on Cartoon Network in the 90s, and a regular on the Boomerang schedule in the 2000s, just like many other shows of its ilk. And Speed Buggy has one other cameo of note, I should mention, in the modern era. Ooh. On Animaniacs! That's right! Yep, in the song Suffragette City. Nice. And of course, Speed and Tinker are appearing in quick but fun cameos in Jellystone. Yep, I briefly forgot about that. So, I think we're about ready to put the brakes on this one and pull up to the gas station. I got a few amusing stories about Tinker this day. Oh, of course. I I almost forgot. I'm sorry. Hit us, buddy. All right. Uh, my favorite one, though, is Derek Wyatt, R.I.P., uh, who was the character designer for Transformers Animated and Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated. Uh, at one point on his Twitter, he posted, like, uh, random doodles he supposedly drew during a meeting. And one of them looked like his Mystery Incorporated interpretation of Shaggy, except with some goggles on, like, on his forehead. And I actually, as, I actually responded to it saying... Is that Shaggy with goggles or is it Tinker from Speed Buggy? And he responded with, yes. <laughs> uh, other things I have to say about Tinker is that uh, for a long time, when I decided to open up an account on the art site for Affinity, um, I my icon, my avatar icon on there was just a screen capped picture of Tinker, just because since it's a furry-focused site. I just thought having Tinker as my avatar was hysterical. Fair. And the last thing I have to say is, did you know that Tinker's sister is in a Walt Disney property? Really? Yeah, I'm sure you've heard of Tinker Bell. All right. <laughs> it was there. I couldn't avoid it. <laughs> The Derek oh, Wyatt man, story. I was thinking it too. <laughs> the Derek Wyatt story was definitely the one I wanted to say the most, though. Yeah. So, well, let's speed over to Wegmans and restock the breakfast cereal. But before we do that, we've been remiss in saying, "Hey, thank you for listening to this podcast. Every download means a lot to us." And if you're listening to the YouTube one, please like and subscribe. And hey, give us a rating on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure to hit that notification bell. And stand on your head and sing and sing an ACDC song backwards, just because. And if you can, watch an episode of Speed Buggy. It, it actually has an episode that mentions Oklahoma, and that makes me happy. <laughs> okay, I think we're out of gags, so good night, everybody. See ya! The opinion changed to the sort of hopefully funny cartoon The preceding podcast is a co-production of the Mighty Monkey Corporation and Artificial Orange Studios. The theme song is written, composed, and performed by Shawn Michael Smith.